This is an ABC podcast. It's an oddity, but it's a true oddity that a lot of overachievers believe that easy equals lazy. They're completely different concepts. And once you separate them and you say, no, let's embrace the easier. Let's look for the easier. Let's get really great at finding simpler, easier solutions to problems than the ones we've been given. You unlock this extraordinary response. Well, hands up if you can relate to that. I'm Lisa Leog and welcome to Overachievers Anonymous, otherwise known as This Working Life. That's best-selling business and leadership author, Greg McEwen. And Greg's message is even more pertinent right now for those of you in lockdown trying to work from home with school-age kids. We'll dig into his theory about how you can use effortlessness to your advantage in just a minute. But first, I want to know how Greg's first book, Essentialism, which was about figuring out what is essential and eliminating everything else, paradoxically led him to face burnout. Well, it, it changed everything. And it was a wonderful problem to have, but it didn't make it less of a problem. I remember, among other things, just traveling all over the world, speaking at events, speaking with groups. I'm now sort of the father of essentialism, and it hit a nerve. But I was also, by this point, the father of four children. And so that was an increase of responsibility as well. And the combination, just I could feel myself being stretched thinner and thinner, despite being more selective than I'd ever been in my life. Uh, you know, I was saying no to writing in the next book, even though the demand and interest was there. I, I put on hold the class I co-created at Stanford Design School. Uh, but with all of that, I could still feel, you know, it's necessary to figure out what's essential to eliminate everything else. But suddenly it didn't feel entirely sufficient uh, in the midst of what was already challenge. We then had a family emergency where uh, my daughter, the picture of health, suddenly became inexplicably really ill with what turned out later to be a neurological disease where she suddenly was moving incredibly slow. Her executive function is compromised. She's taking two minutes to write her own name, hours to eat a meal, personality effectively gone. Greg, that sounds extremely frightening and must have taken over your life. Well, that was the risk, is that you're suddenly faced with something that is a clear priority. And if you're not careful, it could consume everything, you know, body and soul, and you could become burned out mentally, physically, but then also your relationships start to get burned out. Your marriage could be on the rocks or worse, destroy the family culture you've spent years building. And then you still, partially because of all those things, could be in a position where you still don't help your daughter because you're getting burned out so much. So we could have gone down that path. But we suddenly became clear uh, that there were two paths in life. So it's not just enough to know what's essential. You also have to figure out how to approach what's essential. It's not enough just to know what the right thing is. You've got to approach it in the right way. And so instead of going down this incredibly heavy, anxious, consuming, maybe depressing path, uh, we found that there was a very different way to do life. Um, well, what what's we, the wrong way then, Greg? Well the, well, the wrong way is to take something that's hard. It's it's, what we were doing was hard, but it's to make it harder than it needs to be. It's to complain about all the things you can't control. 
it's to get sidetracked by every well-intended suggestion people have for what might be going on. People would send all sorts of things that were actually quite inflammatory diagnosis. They're not doctors or neurologists or anything, but you know, you could be very worried about that and, and study every possibility. Uh, you could spend you know, up all night uh, pursuing these things and get into such a state of anxiety that you don't make clear-minded decisions. You, you aren't working together well as a team. And so you're taking a hard thing and making it even harder. It's a heavier path. And you'd think, well, no one would opt for that path. But in fact, that's the one you most think you ought to do. Give everything. It's so important. It's you must just give everything you have to try and address the problem. Why do you think so many people buy into the cult of busy? I think that among the many reasons for this, there is a sort of Puritan streak that has been um, absorbed into corporatism that doesn't just celebrate harder and harder and busier work. You know, it's not just that hard work is a virtue, but also distrusts the easy, you know, makes it a vice to relax, to recuperate, to find an easier, smarter solution. If you're not busy, if you're not working hard, you must not be doing work that's even important. And so there is, I think, this, what would I say, a a bad paradigm, Mm. (laughs) sort of a, a current corporate equivalent of bloodletting in the medical (laughs) profession, where for years and years with bloodletting, people really believed that by removing the blood from a patient, you'd be helping them, even though in reality, you were weakening them, maybe even killing them. And similarly, there's just a bad paradigm right now, which says no pain, no gain, work constantly, never stop. If you want to achieve more, you have to do more. And it becomes such an extreme thing and it gets advocated strongly, sometimes in media, sometimes in, uh, in the way we tell heroic success stories, that this is the path and not only the path, the only path. Uh, and well-intended, hardworking, intelligent, talented people, what my brother calls the hit squad, H-I-T, hardworking, intelligent, <laughs> talented people, they buy into this because they have themselves been rewarded for working hard and putting an effort. Of course they have. Nothing wrong with that at the beginning. But then it gets to a point where they're running out of space and they still double down on it. They still say, well, if I'm not getting the results that I want, I must give more. And it's in that space where people start to go into diminishing returns, where they're getting less back for every hour of effort given, or even negative returns where for every hour extra they put in, they're getting worse results. This is really a damaging thing. But just like bloodletting, sometimes we still don't see it for what it is. We don't see what's happening because the paradigm is so consuming and that's what we believe works. But over the last 20 years, neurologists, psychologists, uh, high performance experts, the research that I've done shows the limits of this approach, and that there really is a a far better paradigm, a far different way of actually achieving breakthrough performance, but without burning out. And very often, you know, it's so embedded in the culture, as you say, especially corporate culture, to focus on 
doing the work, you know, being workhorses, that people may not listen unless they have their own crises. So how do we break through? What have you found is resonating with switching this up? Well, the opportunity is immense right now because we have had a global crisis. And so in a sense, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And there are lots of leaders that I'm working with now who recognize the problem in a way that I think they maybe just wouldn't have done a year and a half ago. So I was just talking to a leader of a tech company who said, yeah, we've achieved good results over the last year and a half, but we've done it at a really high price. The turnover is higher than we expected. And the people who stayed have achieved what they have through grinding effort. And now I can really see it's not sustainable. We can't even do it for the next 12 months. We have to find a different way of getting results. And so there's an openness to this because the experience that the world has gone through, just people still want to get great results. There's nothing wrong with wanting that, but a recognition that they, they can't just expect everyone to achieve this by pushing harder and harder. Now, Greg, a question you pose right at the start of the book is, what could happen in your life if the easy but pointless things became harder and the essential things became easier? Can you talk me through that? What do you mean? Well, there's such an assumption that says that essential things are the hardest things in life. In fact, I remember somebody who read Essentialism and said, look, Essentialism changed my life. This is fantastic, but it should come with a warning. This will be the hardest thing that you will ever do. <laughs> and for a long time, I, I absorbed that myself and said, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I ought, I ought to share that with people. Tell them this is so important, but it's going to be so hard. And over time, I started to challenge that assumption. Are you sure? Does it have to be? When does it have to be? When is that true? Are there sometimes it's not true? And I started to realize that, that so many leaders would talk about achieving essential things with a assumption that these would be so difficult. Mm. I just did a team just now that I was uh, asked to be a mentor on, and the leader of the group said, we're going to do this great thing. It's going to make a difference all over the world. I mean, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. Every leader gives that speech. It, it's not even questioned. Nobody, nobody was grumbling about that. Everyone understands. Oh, yes, that's how it works. That's how it works. And so what I've found amazing is that there is an alternative. You don't just have to live with these two extremes, this false dichotomy of either the essential being very hard on the one side or the trivial and easy on the other. So, Greg, what then is the answer instead of flicking to those extremes? Well, one of the things that we can do, uh, and it will sound so simple, uh, so obvious maybe, but it really works, is to invert the question we're asking. Uh, instead of saying, well, how can I work harder to achieve these essential results? You just say, how can we make it easier? How can we make it effortless to achieve the breakthrough results? And that question is an interrupt and a trigger and helps to signal to the high processing computer of our brains to search for answers and strategies that will help us to do this. I was working with a manager at a university uh, who was right in the category we've been talking about, the hit squad, 
<laughs> she's the kind of person who's up till four in the morning, you know, photoshopping for her youth group yes. at church the next day. Yeah. And she feels guilty if she's even eating lunch. And I said, well, just invert it. Ask a different question. Next time you have an, a, a request, ask, how can I achieve the result that they're looking for in an effortless way? And so she tries that the next day when she gets a call from a professor that says, I want you to get the videography team to come here and record my class for the semester. And she is ready to jump in. You know, she, we're going to, oh, I'm going to wow him. We're going to have multiple camera angles. We'll have a whole team there. We'll edit it all together. We'll have music, intros, outros. Now, he's not asking for any of that, but she's trying to add it, put it all in there, as many insecure overachievers tend to do. And then she remembers the coaching. Okay, invert the situation. How can it be effortless? So she explores, could there be an easier way to do it? And it turns out that the solution they come up with is because it's for one student who's going to miss a few classes. They just have another student record it on an iPhone and send those classes that they're going to miss to the student. And the professor's delighted with that solution. It hadn't occurred to him. He was overcomplicating it too. And she gets off the phone. It's a 10-minute conversation and saved an entire team's worth of work for four months just for inverting it. And maybe that sounds like too good to be true. Well, that's one nice example, one person, one situation. But I have found that it is so rare that people ask this question, especially overachievers, that as soon as you start asking the question, answers come that can be quite remarkable. Because just think about it this way. Every overachiever listening to this wants to get better results. In fact, they want 10x results. But not one overachiever listening to this can work 10x harder. So there's a natural limit where they'll start to plateau in their progress or even fail altogether. But if they can invert the question, invert the script, you suddenly open up enormous possibilities. You can make things 10 times easier. Suddenly things that seemed impossible before start to become plausible, then doable. Over time, you might be able to create systems that make it so much easier. Now the impossible is done. And, and it's not even just achieving a, an average outcome. In fact, the impact, I think, and the effectiveness of what is done will be optimized, I think, by taking this approach. I mean, that's, that's sort of the idea. Once you get into effortless thinking, once you separate lazy from easy, it's, it's an oddity, but it's a true oddity that a lot of overachievers believe that easy equals lazy. Mm, yeah. And if you, I mean, if you literally just talk about dictionary definitions, lazy is not willing to put in effort. That's what lazy is. Easy is that something does not require great effort to achieve. So they're completely different concepts. And once you separate them, and you say, no, let's embrace the easier. Let's look for the easier. Let's get really great at finding simpler, easier solutions to problems than the ones we've been given. You, you unlock this, this extraordinary re response. I mean, I say 10x because I don't want to sound like I'm full of hyperbole. But what else can you call the key of a story? It's not 10x or 100x. It's actually significantly beyond an 1,000x difference. 
And that's the difference where we're talking not just about return on investment, the ROI, but what I'm trying to advocate in Effortless is, is our ROE, the return on our effort. Effort is important, but it's really limited. There's, there's almost nothing you can do to increase it past a certain point. You have an, another concept in your book, and you talk about upper and lower bounds. So what are they? How do they work? Overachievers make a predictable mistake when they try to uh, break through to the next level. They tend to go big. Um, yep. <laughs> they tend to say, okay, if I'm doing it, I'm really doing it. <laughs> and yep. the risk is that it leads to intermittent behavior. So they go big for a while, then they get overwhelmed by having gone so big, and then they kind of burned out their appetite for that new activity almost before they've begun. I mean, I'm thinking here, a simple example would be keeping a journal. Uh, you know, okay, I'm, I've, I've heard these great people in literature that write their journals. I'm going to write a journal. And day one, I mean, they buy the journal, they get the journal, they, they write three pages, five pages, they write a veritable essay, and they are, you know, basically Done. spent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, day two comes along. They don't have another hour and a half to do it. So they go, okay, well, I'll get to that tomorrow. Yeah. So now day three arrives. Well, they don't have time for catching up with yesterday and today. And so it's done. And then eventually later, they're re-inspired by it and they'll start again. Well, that's intermittent behavior. That's the boom and bust approach to execution. And it's a really familiar one uh, to most of us. Mm. I mean, staying with the metaphor of journaling, the the paradoxical idea is that you need to set a not just a lower bound, let's say an effortless lower bound. Uh, like for me, I said, when I, when I got really finally fed up with this intermittent approach to journal keeping, I said, okay, no less than one sentence a day. <laughs> Even if I'm tired, I can do one sentence. And then if I got behind, well, you can make it up. It's one sentence. Now that was important to have such an easy lower bound, but the upper bound was just as important. Mine was no more than five sentences a day until this has become so routine and so built into the ritual of my life that then, of course, you can write more and it's just a part of it. That's journaling. Of course, it could be any number of things. But the key is to have a very achievable lower bound. And even your upper bound is something you say, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And so what is a microburst and where does that fit in, Greg? A literal microburst is uh, these, these odd storm patterns where you suddenly have very intense you know, storm experience. They last about 10 or 15 minutes. And, and I'm using it in the book as a metaphor for being able to take a small burst of, of energy. So one of the most practical things people can do if they're procrastinating something that's essential because it seems overwhelming to them is to stop trying to do a project. You can't do a project. You can't write a book, in fact, or you can't, you can't run a marathon. You can't do these things. But you can do tiny next actions. And so figuring out the obvious next step, that's powerful. You, you try to get down to like the, the literal physical next thing. So if, staying with journaling, I've got to open my journal with a pen in my hand. That's the first obvious step. That then you say, okay, what could I do in a microburst? If I had 10 minutes, what could I achieve in, in 10 minutes on it? 
And you can set a timer and literally, again, end when the timer is over and you've, you've made progress. So in design concept, there's the minimum viable product. And I loved how in your book you had the MVA, the minimum viable action. That really resonated with me. I love the example in Silicon Valley of Netflix. The co-founders had a vision of what the company is now from the beginning, but the technology wasn't even available. And they suspected it wouldn't be for another 10 years, and it wasn't. Mm. So what would you do if you were in that situation? Do you try and raise $100 million from all these investors and try and build the technology? Do you build some massive business plan, 100 pages long with all of your projections and expectations and so on? Well, here's what they did. They said, well, what's the minimum viable action? The very first step that's tiny but real, and they they went uh, and bought a CD. Yeah, they were literally in Silicon Valley. They went to a <laughs> secondhand CD store, buy a CD, went over to the post office, mailed it to themselves. The next day when it arrived, unscratched and unbroken, they looked at each other and were like, okay, I think we have something. We really might have something here. And that was the beginning. And there's a lot of people who make things harder than they need to be because they're worrying about the the hundredth step in the process, the thousandth step in their goal, instead of really just thinking, okay, what's the minimum viable action? The tiniest thing that will actually help me make progress. So do you have any final words of advice, Greg, to someone listening who wants to try this concept of effortlessness at work? What are a couple of steps they can do today? I think one of the things that people can do immediately at work is to streamline the next project they take. Uh, the next project they deem is essential, it's important that they get done, they should ask the following questions. What does done look like? So they're not endlessly spinning on potentially non-essential additions to the project. The second question that they can ask is, uh, how can I eliminate steps from the process? How can I start from zero? That's what Steve Jobs was so great at. Instead of simplifying going from complex to simple, he would say, well, let's start with zero and maybe we can have you know, one step to achieve the goal. So how can we delete every possible step in the process? What's the minimum number of steps to be able to achieve this desired outcome? That's a great mantra to have. Well, I think it is if you want to, uh, to get into simplification. And, and that's what effortless is in a single word. It's simplification. It's removing all of the things that make it harder than it needs to be. It, in fact, there's a story that didn't make it into the book, but it's a really almost sacred story to me that I came across. And it's the story of a mother with her dying son in the hospital. And she knows it's the end. And she gets up into the bed just to be close to him. And he gets to this point you know, like where he's not fully here anymore, but he's not fully there. He's in the in-between, let's say. And he suddenly opens his eyes and he says, oh, mom, it's all so simple. It's all so simple. And those were his last words and he died. And that became a key and powerful lesson for her but of course for us as well. And so I think what grows out of that is 
a question that we can all ask ourselves, we can ask at work, we can ask immediately and often, which is, how am I making this harder than it needs to be? And when we have the answer to that question, we'll have something very powerful because we'll know what to do next. And in some ways, I think, you know, I think the life of business and the business of life might be just as simple, as easy as that. Thank you, Greg. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Greg McEwen and Greg's books are Essentialism and Effortless. And if you really love what you heard today, you might also want to check out our show on what to eat and how to move to supercharge your brain at work. When people begin to understand that their thinking process depends on having enough of the right nutrients available, it shifts their thinking and they start becoming more aware of the fact that thinking doesn't just occur at random without any context. It occurs based on the nutrients that we consume every day. To find it, just scroll back through your feed to January this year. And before I go, we want to hear from you how and where you listen to our podcast. So next time you're listening, send us a little recording from your phone about where you are, what you're doing and when, and email it through to thisworkinglifeatabc.net.au. Most phones have a recording app like Voice Memo. Easy peasy. This Working Life is produced by the founding member of Overachievers Anonymous, Maria Tickle. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.